Oh, friends, it is. My welfare checks on Vladimir Zelensky are going well. Um, I mean, the war is not going well, but as far as we know, Vladimir Zelensky is still alive and a beacon of hope throughout the world, a beacon of courage and bravery, and the fact that good can triumph over evil. Um, And we hope, we hope it ends that way as well, with the good triumphing over evil. I'm starting the show with a personal note. Uh, for those of you who have been listening to this show uh, at for any length, you know that I have uh, been battling leukemia. I was diagnosed in November of 2020. And excuse me, October of 2020. Excuse me. I've, I've been in David was looking at me funny. I've been in remission since November, because after my first intensive month long hospitalization and inundation with chemo and all sorts of other drugs. Um, it did chase that cancer right out of my blood. And since November of 2020, I have been technically in remission. I have done eight inpatient chemo sessions down at Mayo Clinic. I am now amidst two years of maintenance, which means monthly uh, chemo and steroids. I go back to the Mayo Clinic on Wednesday. I will be off the air on Wednesday. I'm actually filling in on the 9 to Noon show t- uh, next week. So you're going to, you're stuck with Paul, but you can listen to, please do listen to me uh, in addition uh, on 9 to Noon. And at, on Wednesday, I'll be down at the Mayo Clinic for a surgery. Every three months, I go for what's called a bone marrow biopsy where they drill into my hip. Uh, I'll actually post all 14 holes that will be in my back. And if, if you'd like to see such a thing. And, um, and they just make sure that I'm still in remission. And while I have faith that I still am, you know, there's always that <sighs> the doctor couldn't come back and say something like it's back. There's always that fear, always that fear uh, when you have that surgery. So uh, that is happening next week. Hopefully he will get back to me with good news. But the reason I remind you of all of this, friends, is because I am now part of the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society of Minnesota's campaign to raise money to stop blood cancer because the treatment that I have been going through that I endured for the first eight months, many people go to bone marrow um, transplant. I did not because I responded well to chemo, but often people do is grueling. It's hard. It's awful. There's nothing good about it other than it saves your life and it saved my life and it saves lives of millions of people every year. And so now I'm doing what I can to have nobody ever go through that again. And I know that's unrealistic, but we are closer and closer to a cure every day. Every day that research dollars are donated, uh, we get closer and closer to nobody ever having to suffer any kind of cancer. You heard President Biden say in his State of the Union address that he has a war on cancer. His son, um, one of his sons, you know, died from cancer, and he wants it to end with us. And I do too. And if that means raising money in my own small way, then that's what I will do and awareness. And that's what I have done. Every three minutes in the United States, somebody is diagnosed with leukemia, lymphoma, or myeloma. About 190,000 people in the U.S. are expected to be diagnosed per year. Now, on the whole, leukemia, lymphoma, and myeloma are only about 10% of the cancers that are diagnosed in the United States. And of that, people like me with leukemia are only uh, 3% of that. Um, but let's, let's get rid of that 3%, friends. That is what I am trying to do. I reported a few weeks ago here on this show 
that a CAR T cell therapy treatment has cured two men of leukemia, cured them. It's not my kind of leukemia, but it's good for them. And it's good for anybody who has CLL. I have T cell, A-L-L, which is different. Had, excuse me, had. I like to think I don't have it anymore. Uh, So they're out there. The cures are out there. We just have to go find them. And that costs money. So what I'm asking you today is to support me in my fundraiser. And if that means just sharing the fundraiser on your Facebook page or sharing it with friends or letting somebody know that I'm raising money, that is okay with me. Check out my website. It's jordanagreen.com. It's pretty easy. jordanagreen.com. And um, right there, there's a button that says donate to the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. None of that money goes to me. It goes directly to the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. um, And and that's where it is. You can see how to, it's a 501c3. You can see uh, that you will get, um, you will get something to put on your taxes if you donate. And um, I ask for your help. Uh, The Leukemia and Lymphoma Society asked me to help them because they know I have a platform. I asked my boss if it was okay to talk about it, and he said, yes, Jor, it's okay to talk about it. God put me on this earth and in this position as a radio show host, maybe, maybe for this reason. So I want to use my platform for good and to help, and this is one of the ways that I am doing that. So thank you for indulging me. Thank you for sharing the leukemia journey that I have been on, your calls and your letters and your emails and your energy and your thoughts and your prayers have literally kept me alive. And you will see that in the video that I posted today. My old friend Edgar Linares with Lake and Tree Films made a video for my fundraising page. So you can take a look at that and see me and the kids and my husband and, um, and, and share the journey with me. And I, I appreciate you letting me talk about it and you listening and you helping in advance. So you will hear, be hearing a lot about that on WCCO Radio. It's a 10-week campaign. Uh, we're kicking it off now. So check out my website at jordanagreen.com, uh, if you will, and click on that, donat, um, uh, that, that donate page. So thank you. Thank you for letting me share. When we get back, we will lighten things up because I am, cannot wait to see the Batman cannot wait. That is such a good escapism. During my treatment, I watch tons of movies. It's such a good escape from real life. Uh, So Tim Lammers is joining us with The Batman next. I've been trying to reach you. Find the gun! This is a powder king. And Rither's to match. I can take care of myself. This continues. It won't be long before you've nothing left. I don't care what happens to me. It's only going to get worse for you. Okay, well, that sounds a little scary, but I'm hoping it's totally worth it. Tim Lammers, brought to us by Bradshaw and Bryant, is joining us now to talk about the Batman. Hey, Tim. The Batman. Yes, he always has that low voice, doesn't he? The Batman. That's right. I, yeah. I love Batman, and, and I've watched Batman ever since it was, you know, a not even primetime. It was like, you know, mid-afternoon programming with real people and the Pam yeah. and the bow and the blast. You know, I love that. Yeah, love yeah. That that, that, things have come a long way since then, Jordana. <laughs> Obviously, that's the Adam West version of Burt Ward. Yes. Uh, then we had Tim Burton, uh, which was obviously lighter fare as well. And then things got really dark with Christopher Nolan and Christian mm-hmm. Bale. And I love those films and honestly, still partial to those films. But I have to tell you, uh, as dark as those Nolan films were, The Batman, starring Robert Pattinson and directed and written by Matt Reeves, 
is even darker. Oh boy, really? Yeah, yeah, but you know what? It's it's gritty. It's a it's a very dark crime thriller. Um, You know, it's it's set in modern day uh, Bruce Wayne slash Batman. He's in the second year of crime fighting. Uh, Gotham City has gone completely to pot. It's hell in a handbasket in in Gotham City. There's criminals on the streets. The politicians are all corrupt. And uh, caught up in that, you know, is is a crime boss. John Turturro plays. Um, his name is slipping me now. Carmine, Carmine Falcone. Uh, and then we have the Penguin, uh, played by an unrecognizable Colin Farrell. Catwoman, played by wow. Zoe Kravitz. And uh, so she at least has some sort of alliance with Batman. But the most feared criminal in this chapter is the Riddler. And this, say goodbye to, to Frank Gorshin and Jim Carrey's version. This is dark. This is the scariest version of the Riddler that I've ever seen. Jordana, I rank him up there with, still behind, because I think Heath Ledger is the all-time greatest villain playing the Joker, Mm -hmm. but Paul Mm -hmm. Dano is a close second. This guy is unbelievable in this. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a spectacular movie. It's crazy enough, almost three hours long, but don't let that scare you away. Uh, you know, it goes okay. really, really fast. But yes, it does have that gritty real world feel. I almost feel like it could fit in with Joker, the Joaquin Phoenix movie, that sort of mm-hmm. tone. You know, that mm-hmm. movie was even more bleak and hopeless. I mean, I think there's a sense of hope here still. But yeah, it's it's part crime thriller. It's part detective film noir. It's part mob movie. You know, the protagonist basically is wearing a bat suit. You know, yeah. so okay. Okay. It, it's mm-hmm. really something else. And here's the other thing. It's a PG-13 film, Jordana. I, it's, some of the violence is so intense. I was shocked really? that it wasn't an R. Um, really? It's not bloody or anything like that. But like uh-huh. I said, this guy, the Riddler, is off his rocker. So, okay. uh, yeah, he, th- he takes uh, things to new heights in this picture. So, yeah, look, I... I I, I, I entered the theater thinking, do we really need another Batman? And I'm really glad that we got him. Well, I'm glad you said that, but I don't know. I, I, can't, I don't know that I'm going dark anymore. I might have to take a pass. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. there is something to be said about that. I mean, yeah, I, it, again, no, I, I guess I felt like at least there was a sense of hope here because Batman was you know, going to continue the fight. Where in Joker, I mean, things just de-escalated into chaos. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm, we're only mm-hmm. at the beginning of the Joker story, at least in Joaquin Phoenix's version. Right. Now, you know, obviously Heath Ledger's was, you know, apprehended in that film, you know, t- well, 2012, so 13, 14 years ago already. Hard to think ago. that we're talking about that long ago. But yeah, you know, people that love superhero movies are going to love this anyway. But I will say it's not your light and fun Avengers. There, you know, there's right. very little humor in this one. Mm-hmm. The Penguin maybe yeah. okay. has a couple funny lines, but that's it. Well, let's go on to the next one. Cyrano with Peter Dinklage. My sole purpose on this earth is to love Roxanne. Does she know? The world will never accept someone like me and a tall, beautiful woman. We have no money. A clever marriage is your only option. I won't be rescued. I'm not in distress. Love, does that mean nothing to you? Children need love. Adults need money. I need something to Ooh, harsh. Ooh. Uh, love Peter Dinklage, and I love the story of Cyrano. 
Yeah, you know, it's really interesting because, you know, it has been done before. And in fact, yeah. Steve Martin did Roxanne. Steve Martin, with, exactly. Was it mm-hmm. Daryl Hannah? I forget who played Roxanne in that picture. You know, so this is a time-honored tale. It's an older tale. And it's like, again, like Batman, how do you put a different spin on things? Uh, here, they make it a musical. Um, and oh. instead of Cyrano having, you know, the long nose and, you know, in traditional form, uh, you know, Peter Dinklage is afraid he will be rejected by Roxanne uh, because he's a dwarf. Um, mm-hmm. So there is another man that that Roxanne actually is in love with, but he just can't articulate his feelings. So mm-hmm. he convinces uh, the man Christian, played by Kelvin Harrison, Jr. Haley Bennett plays Roxanne. Uh, that, okay, I will write letters for you. And at one point, if you know the story of Cyrano, he actually Mm -hmm. speaks for him in the shadows, from the shadows. So, you know what? Peter Dinklage is such of a powerhouse actor. He's got such of an incredible voice. Man, this guy could make a living on radio, you know? Mm -hmm. Booming voice, Mm -hmm. just an authoritative voice. But on on top of that, I mean, he is really terrific at sword fighting. Uh, He's got some singing chops of Cyrano. To me, it's just really a shame that they cut the Oscar nominations off at five because, honest to God, I think he should have been nominated for this film. Wow. It's a terrific wow. film. And, you know, what? look, and, and, and again, looking for that lighter programming, although mm-hmm. if you know mm-hmm. the Terry of Cyrano, it, things don't end well. <laughs> yeah. but, um, <laughs> you know, uh, just, you know, not, no spoilers, no spoilers. Right. Um, well, but, it's an old story. But, yeah. Yes. I mean, <laughs> at least as far as the romantic, the, 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 that romanticism, those tales of hope, um, I think that, you know, this is a nice alternative to that. Okay. Tim Lammers, always appreciate you. Thank you for your honesty. Tim's movie reviews are brought to us by Bradshaw and Bryant. You can follow Tim on all his social channels, uh, Tim Lammers Reviews, and I usually retweet and repost on Facebook uh, Tim's reviews. So, Tim, always a pleasure. Thank you for joining us. When we return, a zero-waste store. What is that? How are they doing it? It's right here in Minnesota. We'll talk. We'll talk to the owner next. Eco-anxiety, it's a real thing. New York Times did a piece about this this week. Fascinating. Eco-anxiety means people are suffering real grief about climate change. Now, I know for a fact that climate change is very upsetting. My own kids, really, they are very concerned about this. This is one of their top priorities as a grown-up that they hope to help change the world at because because we've done such a bad job uh, with saving their planet that they will inherit. They are very concerned about climate change. So eco-anxiety is something that is showing up in therapy sessions. All right, it's experts say that climate change has a powerful psychologic impact. Okay, not just on the people that are living near the oceans that are seeing the plastic that are seeing the erosion of their backyards but also for people like us that are following it through the news and research in fact on wednesday just this past wednesday the united nations adopted a resolution that lays out a plan to end plastic pollution hopefully the un will actually be a useful body and it will have some teeth to it but at least it was a public global stance that says this is a problem and we should do something about it So when I heard about something called Tear Market, T-A-R-E, Tear Market, it's Minnesota's first zero waste store. It's just one of a few in the the whole country that sells items that are in plastic-free packaging. I thought, you know what? 
I got to find out a little bit more about this. <laughs> Amber Hockadal is the owner of Tear Market, and she's joining us now. Amber, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Okay, so what, what's Tear Market? What do you sell at the market? Yeah, well, Tear Market is a socially minded business. We're located in South Minneapolis, and our mission is to fight climate change by providing people with access to package-free and plastic-free goods, like you mentioned. Mm -hmm. So we sell things for the everyday consumer, products that they use on a daily basis that typically come in plastic. We found alternative products that are plastic-free that are better for people in the environment. So fun things like snacks for kids, like dried fruit and candy, to things that are useful like bamboo toothbrushes. So just kind of everyday products that people use, we've tried to find better alternatives for the planet and for the people. Good. So eco-friendly products and also an eco-friendly packaging. So is that like a paper Mm -hmm. bag that we're talking about? Give me an idea of what eco-friendly packaging looks like. Yeah, sometimes it's totally a naked product. So imagine like a bar of soap with nothing on it. So we try to go totally package free when we can. The next best thing is to wrap in paper. Um, so that's a, a product that can be recycled. Um, and then after that, if we can't do that, we try to wrap something in something like aluminum or glass because those are products that can be recycled an infinite amount of times again and again. Um, mm, and mm-hmm. other than we don't carry anything in plastic packaging. So if it can't come in one of those forms, then we don't carry it. I love that. So to, I love, I want to hear your creation story of this, Amber. What got you into this? Why are you passionate about this? It's a great question. And I think like a lot of people and probably a lot of people who f- suffer from eco-anxiety, as you mentioned, I really cared about the future of our planet. I wanted to leave the planet a better place for future generations. So I got really involved in the environmental field at a very young age and became a conservation biologist. I love traveling around the world and doing research on endangered species. The whole point of that was to make Um, recommendations for policy changes to protect those species and to hopefully leave the world a better place. But I found that the effort I was putting in wasn't really matching the output. And what I really wanted to see this change at a behavioral level to make the world better really needed to come from individual people making just even slight adjustments in their life to live a little bit more sustainably. So when Mm -hmm. I moved to Minnesota and I started Tear Market, Um, The object really was to help make a difference in people creating less waste to decrease their carbon footprint, decrease the plastic pollution in the environment, and to leave the world a better place for future generations. That's a beautiful mission. Thank you. And you, but yeah. you know, I, I often, when we talk about climate change on this show, you know, we get texts or people saying, Oh, well, it, it's China. If, if they're not going to do anything, then mm-hmm. it's not us recycling means nothing. Or, you know, well, mm-hmm. in India, there's so much waste and there's, they don't recycle at all. So it doesn't matter if I leave the water on when I brush my teeth, you know, or, or that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. What is your response to people um, who say the things that we do like recycling or the, the little things that, I mean, maybe they sound little to us. What is your response? Does every, mm-hmm. d- does that even help? Is it a drop in a bucket? I think we need a bunch of people living as imperfectly as possible with the same mission to live perfectly in order to make a change. And, mm-hmm. and so that can mean you as an individual just swapping out your um, carrots that you normally get at the grocery store in a plastic bag to bring in your own reusable cloth bag and putting the loose carrots in there instead and taking them home and washing them like you probably normally do anyway to just avoid the plastic. 
if you can do that one thing, you can make that one switch, you will make a difference. Um, and we need everyone, not just India and not just China. We as the United States, too, need to step up and be an example for other countries. I like that. I, I like to think that the little things that we do make a difference. But there are a lot of naysayers. And sometimes it does feel like, you know, you're spinning your wheels because sure, we recycle or sure, we compost, whatever the, your thing is. But you look at the news mm-hmm. and the problem seems to be getting worse. Are you mm-hmm. encouraged or is the problem getting worse? Well, I think the science out there really points to the project. The problem is, in fact, getting worse. And so it's imperative that we do something about it now, that we can't wait any longer to take action. So what I really try to do is encourage people on the individual level to make changes in their life that work for them and their family and their budget and their resources that help them live a more environmentally sustainably lifestyle. So, for example, if you're someone who um, always shops at the standard grocery store and you have a lot of plastic that ends up in your trash can because it can't be recycled, things like plastic bags, which end up as trash. Again, you could make this little swap to either purchase something different or bring your own bag um, to the store. And you'll find that you start taking your trash out a lot less. And hopefully that will motivate you to learn that you as an individual, you can see right there that you're making a change that's making an impact in your trash. And then we're not sending a bunch of trash to the landfill or even things to the recycling center, which does have its own carbon footprint, and you're making a difference. So imagine if your neighbor lived that way, your whole block lived that way, your whole town. That's a big change that can make um, a big impact. I love that. Uh, So Tear Market, where is Tear Market? How can we reach you? Yeah, Tear Market is a physical space in South Minneapolis at 2717 East 38th Street. Um, we also have an online shop, which is thetearmarket.com, and you can place orders for now zero-waste delivery and contactless curbside pickup. And we are also expanding to a second location at 945 Broadway Street Northeast. That's in the Broadway building in Northeast Minneapolis in April. And we're currently um, running a crowdfunding campaign to support the expansion to that second location. And people can find out about the crowdfunding campaign either on Instagram, at Tear Market, or on our website. Awesome. Amber Hockadal, thank you for the research. Thank you for what you're doing and for being in Minnesota. We all want to be part of the solution, and I appreciate you helping us take those little steps. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity to come on the show. You got it. I tell you, folks, my kids really do. They're concerned about this. They are worried. Ruby's got a a small business. Uh, We sell fragrance. And she is like, Mom, part of the proceeds have to go to save the turtles. I'm like, okay. Okay, with the turtles. We we will do our best to save the turtles. I got it. You know, I'm thinking maybe Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, Ruby, but she she's saving the turtles. I'm like, fine, we'll we'll save some turtles. We'll make donations. We um they are very concerned about this and they're pretty angry at the rest of us. Like um, you guys really screwed this up. What were you thinking? Why were you not paying attention? This is and I I have no good answer to what she says about that i i because we weren't listening and we were worried about making money in oil and all sorts of other stuff and and fast fashion and 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 by the way they they put their money where their mouth is they my kids only shop in in um like consignment stores goodwill they go goodwill they go thrifting 
Plato's Closet, uh, Rodeo Drive. There's one in my neighborhood. Like that's that's how they shop. And I'm like, you know what? They're citizens of the world, better than we were. So um, I guess they have something to teach us. So um, uh, again, uh, that's why I wanted to talk to her because she's part of the solution, and I'm grateful for that. When we get back. Jamia Erickson from Thrivent Financial. She was on the women's bobsled team. We're going to talk Title IX next. Welcome, Welcome back. back. I love this segment, and I'm so thrilled to be joined by Mia Erickson. She is a financial associate at Thrivent and has a long history of athletics that has helped her in her life, career, and as a mother. So, Mia, I'm so happy to see you on the WCCO Facebook and Twitter and have you here on the air. Thanks, Jordana, for having me. I'm really excited for this opportunity today. Now, I know you started, I want to talk sports first. I know you started in track and field. So when did you start and how did that all happen? So I started in track and field in high school and I just found a love for the individual aspect in addition to the team aspect where you can Mm -hmm. compete in both ways. Um, I was immediately attracted to the field events. So I loved jumping. I loved, um, I also loved throwing as well. I know if you see me, you wouldn't think that I look like the typical thrower, but the field events and the technicality that's involved with them really spoke to me. And so I was hooked you know, and track and field happens outside too. So I was born and raised in Florida. So that was right up my alley, getting that vitamin D in and sunshine. I love that. But then you made the switch and get these friends to bobsled. So that's a, that's a big leap. (laughs) So how did that all happen? So after high school, I went to the University of South Florida and was a track and field athlete there. And um, one day I was out running and I saw a lot of people kind of congregating over on the track. And I was wondering what's going on there. And uh, one of my friends came over. He's like, we're trying out for the bobsled team. And I'm like, what? Not in Florida, you're not. And so I went over there and, you know, asked a few questions and kind of peeked around and they invited me up to camp and I passed the five item test and started sliding from there. So, wow. That, that, so, so did the track and field skills transfer to the bobsled or is it like totally different and you had to learn something new? Well, they definitely transfer. Oh, okay. So okay. for, um, for bobsled, they look for strength and speed okay. because that sled is, is heavy. And, but you need to be able to, you need to be strong enough to get it moving fast, but then you also need to be fast to be able to keep up with it and to keep pushing your speed into the actual sled. So it definitely transfers. And did you compete at the Olympic level in bobsled? I didn't. I've competed on America's Cup, Europa Cup, and World Cup, but came up a little bit short with the Olympics, though. Well, speaking of that, and speaking of strength and Olympics, uh, then I want you transfer or, or you transitioned your athletic career into weightlifting. Isn't that right? <laughs> you were uh, an Olympic. You were in the Olympic uh, weightlifting and was a 2011 and 2012 national champion in your weight. I mean, wow. <laughs> so, so how did that how did that transfer work? So I already um, did the Olympic lifts for training for bobsled and even for track and field. And my coach at the time, my strength coach at the Olympic Training Center, he's like, hey, you're kind of you're kind of good at this. Have you ever thought of competing? And me being me, I was like, well, sure, why not? I'll give it a try. And so, you know, signed up for my first competition and fell in love with the sport. And, you know, I would place every year and then um, I won it in 2011 and 2012. Wow. Amazing. Wow. And we we were talking off air about how Title IX helped you in your athletic career. And um, you have a really good answer. So share with the listeners how you think it helped you. 
So how Title IX helped me is it provided me with an opportunity, what with more opportunities that let's say my mom didn't have and then my grandma didn't have. Because when you think of how um, the opportunities for girls in sports have evolved over these 50 years, there are more opportunities for us to get involved in additional sports that weren't available. You know, when I look back, you know, my mom might not have been able to participate in this sport or this sport. They may have only had five opportunities um, to compete, whereas, you know, I have 10 or, you know, in some case, 12 and 13, depending on your school. And so I even think about the opportunities that my grandma may have had or other um, family members. And it's just it's nice to see that girls have an option. Yeah, it definitely is. And now you're a financial associate with Thrivent. So how have you used some of your skills as an elite athlete in the business world? Well, I use it in, in, in two different ways. I would say I, I look at it with the athletic lens. So it, it, looking at myself as the athlete and how I respond to coaching, what motivated me to you know hit certain metrics or to improve in certain ways. But then I also look at it from the coaching point because I do still coach youth athletes as well. And how can I get to my athletes to get the best out of them? And so whenever I look at my business and how I interact with my clients, it's still coaching. Coaching. So instead of teaching, you know, people how to run faster, jump higher, I'm, how can we help protect your family? How can we um, prepare you for the future? So it's just using it more as a, a coaching lens to, to my business. I love that. It just it's a seamless transition. It makes perfect mm-hmm. sense. Um, I know you're also raising a young family. You have two young daughters, Jada and Layla. Uh, mm-hmm. Are they into sports? And yeah. <laughs> how do you encourage them in that way? So the, we we tried a, um, a few different sports because I just want to want them to find what they're passionate about. And if it is sports, great. They have the opportunity to do so. If it isn't, then I want them to pursue whatever makes them happy. Right now, they love gymnastics and hockey. Mm-hmm. So. I, coming from Florida, I never thought I was going to be a hockey mom, but all right, <laughs> you know, we'll do it. But um, what I pretty much um, will share with them and um, encourage any other athlete that I work with is just to make sure that they believe in themselves and don't be afraid to try something new. Again, coming from Florida where it doesn't even snow and then going to, into a sport, a winter sport, you know, a lot of people might have looked at me and like, are you sure you want to do that? But mm-hmm. I just remember the encouragement that I had from my parents and from my family. And I want to make sure that mm-hmm. I encourage my daughters and any other girl out there who's wondering, should I go off the beaten path and try something else that maybe no one else has done or just want to try something, period. Go for it. Pursue it wholeheartedly if it makes you happy. And if it works out, great. If it doesn't, you won't regret trying. Mm-hmm. That's see, I was going to ask you for some advice, but that's some great advice right now. Mm-hmm. Do you offer any others when you speak or, or to your to people you mentor or to your kids? Any advice in, in the business or the sports world that you can leave us with? Let's see. I would say keep pushing forward and keep taking it one step at a time. There are going to be good days and there are going to be rough days. And I refer back to my Olympic lifting days and any Olympic lifter out there will let you know that you have those days in the gym where everything feels light. And you have those days in the gym where it feels like it, you're trying to lift a ton, but you continue to pursue and push forward because you know the end goal. And so keep your eye on the prize, do what makes you happy and go for it. 
That is beautiful. Uh, Mia Erickson, financial associate with Thrivent. Again, bobsled, track and field, weightlifting, now finance. She does, and mom. So she does it all. So I really appreciate you joining us. And um, thank you for this wonderful conversation and your terrific energy. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Yeah. And stay tuned next Friday right here at 350. Thanks to Thrivent. We're going to have Erica Binger, uh, a V3 coach, executive director and founder. So I'm excited to chat with her. We'll talk next week. Thanks, Mia. Thanks.